Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lenz, joined by my friend and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. Christian, man, I feel like I've got three different things that I want to talk about at the top of this podcast episode. So I I'm can just gonna, guess two of them. I'm just going to... I'm going to give it to you. I want you to lead the way here, because there's there's some exciting movie stuff happening. There's an exciting new topic to discuss here on the show this month. Kevin McCarthy got ousted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk, <laughs> turn this into politics on tap and talk about who could potentially replace uh, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, maybe not. Let's, let's not uh, dive into that too deeply, Christian, but... I, uh, the things on my mind. Mm-hmm. Number one, yeah. Beyond Fest is happening here yes, in the great city of Los Angeles. Absolutely and it is. You and I got to participate in our first screening there, which is pretty fun. Yeah. AFI Fest is coming soon, and mm-hmm. you acquired a pretty hot ticket, I will say. Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about that as well. Yes. And the third and final thing that I was hoping to discuss is escaping me. So I leave it to you. Do you want to talk about our, uh, what? Is escaping you? So you said I have three things. The and you third, forget. the third thing. I just remembered it. Thank you for asking me. I bought us some beer for this podcast <laughs> recording. Yes, that's true. Which I I often do because it's cinema on tap, so we got to drink beer while we record. Mm-hmm. But I also I was feeling a little nice. I wanted to get a little treat for my wife because we're recording at my place today. <laughs> and I figured I'll get Christian a little treat too. Get myself a little treat. It'll be treats and beers. We're living large. So I bought us some ice cream sandwiches, and unfortunately, <laughs> you're on a diet. A diet that allows you to drink beer, but not eat ice cream sandwiches. Well, the only days that I'm allowed to drink alcohol are for this recording and on Sundays. Mm. And, Interesting. Well, because, like, I'm not going to cut beer out of this podcast. That would be madness. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> so uh, I'll get over that. But let's talk Beyond Fest because Beyond Fest. it's happening now, unlike AFI Fest. So for anybody out there who is unaware, Beyond Fest has been running for several years out here in Los Angeles. And this year it's actually presented by Neon, the movie distributor. A lot of folks will know for movies like Parasite and Teton, a couple of the recent Palm d'Or winners, as well as... This year's Palm Door winner, Anatomy of a Fall, which is a movie that we got to see as part of Beyond Fest. What was crazy to me, or maybe not crazy, this is actually a really good thing. We both really liked the movie. We both loved it, from what I can tell. And it is, it, it's, it's not rare for us to both go to a movie and both like it, but I think it's rare for us to both go to a movie and say, that's one of the best things that I've seen this year. I think so too, partially because you and I both watch a lot of movies and <laughs> it's hard to to find something that becomes a new favorite of the year, but to have it happen for both of us at the same screen, pretty cool. Especially when, and I don't know how you feel about this, um, Sunset this year was a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> Sundance. Sundance. Sundance this year was a bit of a disappointment. We participated virtually in January, did an episode about it, if people want to go check that out. And Sundance will also be virtual next year, but it's just, you know, I'm not... It's not that I'm not looking forward to it. I love Sundance. I've been doing it for so many years at this point, but I don't know. The, The selection wasn't great, and we looked at the selection for Beyond Fest, and it was amazing. Yeah, Beyond Fest, for folks who are not familiar with it, has a focus on genre film. So 
They do some new releases, and they also do some classic screenings of horror movies, science fiction movies, and the like. And strangely, the one that we happen to see is Anatomy of a Fall, which has essentially uh, no genre elements whatsoever. It's, for the majority of its runtime, a courtroom drama. A very riveting courtroom drama, but there's no ghosts, there's no ghouls, there's no splatters of blood on the walls. The only blood splatter in this movie is part of the trial, and it's three drops. So, not very exciting. <laughs> there, there, there was another kind of pool of blood, which, depending on who you believe, might have melted. Ah, yes. Very possible. If folks have not heard of Anatomy of there's a Fall... There's a dog. There's there a is very a dog. important dog in this movie. Very important dog in this movie. Anatomy of a Fall follows a family, Sandra, Samuel, and their son, Daniel, who have recently moved back to Samuel's hometown in France, a small town, and they're living pretty isolated in a chalet that they're fixing up to rent out as a uh, bed and breakfast. Ultimately, Samuel falls and dies. And the rest of the movie, that was a little bit, yeah, that was unintentionally, unintentional comedy there. But the rest of the movie then is the anatomy of that fall as they're diving in, trying to figure out what happened. It's the investigation. And it's the investigation into his death. And Sandra comes... everyone's testimony, and all of these testimonies are subjective. Basically, there's no hardcore facts to anything. And it's... Daniel, the son, is away walking the dog when his father dies, and Sandra, according to her, was napping. But of course, she's the only one in the house with him at the time. There's obviously no sign of a stranger or anything like that. So people start to wonder if it was her or if it was a suicide because he was struggling with some mental health issues. So no one knows. And at the end, it's kind of, it's a little fun. They asked us to, they gave us these little note cards that um, had a, a, a QR code we could scan and on it, was, did she do it? Like, that was the website, did she do it.com? Yes or no? And then defend your point. Yeah, it's not really a spoiler to say that the trial is resolved by the end of the movie. I won't say what happens. Obviously, I would strongly encourage you to see this if you get the opportunity. It's coming out in a couple of weeks? I'm not sure. Maybe even this week, I don't know. What was cool about this screening for us is that this was the West Coast premiere. So it's been playing a lot of film festivals. Obviously, won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. But this is the first time I've played in California, let alone the entire West Coast of the country. So, pretty cool to be there, You rec- I would say. Um, we're, we're not going to say who this his name is. You recognized someone who was at the screening. Oh, uh, someone I follow on Letterboxd. I saw logged the movie after we had left. It's not someone I know in real life, so it just made me chuckle. But and then he liked my review of and the movie. He ended up liking your review because you posted it. I, I've not posted mine yet, but you got on that, Christian, and you, you garnered the like. So <laughs> good job. Thank you. But um, we'll also be seeing a horror movie later this week, which we can talk about next week on which the show. Which time is it on Thursday? Also seven thirty. Okay, cool. So. Be there or be square. Someone invited me to get beer at 6. So I'll be there for a crisp 15 minutes. Great. I won't be drinking the beer because it's not, you know, for this podcast or someday. That's the, Them's the rules. <laughs> so that is Anatomy of a Fall, written and directed by Justine Trier. It was just the third woman who has won the Palme d'Or? I think so. Yeah, definitely, definitely check this out if you get the opportunity. Absolutely riveting courtroom drama. And one of the themes that they're playing around with is fiction and reality. What's real, what's fake, what's true, what's false. And just the way that that's woven into the movie is so, so well done. So strongly recommended by both of us. And I'm sure we'll maybe get to talk about it in more detail near the end of this year as we talk about some of our favorite movies of the year. 
Yep. Speaking of movies that could also end up on that list, but who's to say just yet? Christian, you got a ticket to participate in AFI Fest, I which did. is sponsored by the AFI, American Film Institute, out here in LA. That movie is. So I got two tickets. You did? Well, I got a ticket for Evil Does Not Exist. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's which right. Which is the right. new movie by Ryosuku Hamaguchi, who did Drive My Car, which was one of my... It was the... Not the Palm Door winner. It, it won, I think, Best Screenplay at Cannes that year. It was nominated for Best Picture at the end of the year. Ended up winning Best International Feature from Japan. And I also got a ticket to Maestro. The new movie written directed produced starring bradley cooper who is my man i actually wanted you to to see this um so get a visual aid live on air so that is the ticket and what is the name that it says on that ticket uh what what am i looking for or i don't know the name order confirmation for maestro you turd (laughs) oh yeah no scroll down actually scrolling down keep scrolling down Still scrolling. And what does that next one say? Order confirmation for Maestro. You got a second ticket? I got a second hey! ticket for you, bud! <laughs> what a guy. That, those audio levels peaked, but holy cow. We're both going to see Maestro, apparently. Bro, we are going to the red carpet premiere of Maestro. Okay, so for folks who are not following Maestro, pardon our giddiness, but uh, as Christian said, Bradley Cooper's new movie, which is a biography of Leonard cohen the oh no leonard bernstein Bernstein, not leonard cohen different guy leonard bernstein the great american composer and uh stirred some social media controversy earlier this year based on some of the makeup and costume design choices so i can't wait for that to recur when this movie comes out but certainly one of the most hotly anticipated movies of the year and it seems like we're both going to be seeing it as part of the afi fest yo yeah I, I, i asked you this question and you said it is very likely that bradley cooper will be there I, I think that he will. This will be part We're, of the campaign trail. This is going to be a, a big... It's not the debut of the movie, obviously, but it'll be a big festival screening. I, well, so. look, this is going to be different from the time we tried to go see Fast X. We're showing up the there... two times we tried to go the see two Fast two times X. we tried to go see... We're showing up hours early. And, <laughs> and we will eat Chipotle. We're going to show up hours early. <laughs> Redemption. And we are, we are... The goal is a picture... With me and him, that you shall take. Oh, well, I get to take. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll get your own picture that I will take for you, but the goal oh, is my picture. Uh, something tells me that uh, old Brad is not going to be hobnobbing with the the poor and the unknown like us. We're He'll the, be with the rich and look, the famous. <laughs> we we got the cheapo tickets. We didn't get the cheapo tickets. All the tickets cost the same price, but we are in the first eight rows, first six rows. I want Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan just over me and overwhelming me visually so this is going to be perfectly fine i've 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 look i'm excited i don't know how many red carpet premieres are going to go to in our life yeah yeah this is one yeah apparently apparently we're going uh christian you asked what do i wear uh and now it's what do we wear so (laughs) what do we wear (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna make joking suggestions to you like oh wear pajama pants (laughs) ha 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 but (laughs) It's like you just wear jeans and a, a t-shirt. Like, the press won't be taking pictures of us. But We're probably not walking that red carpet. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel good about Cinema on Tap, Christian, but we unfortunately aren't quite there yet in terms of the... 
Can we recognition. Get, we need to start asking for press passes. Yes, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do it. We, uh, the very well-known podcast Cinema on Tap. I, I hate looking at reviews, but this one jumped up because it's a guy that I follow on Letterboxd who gave Maestro five stars and said, OMG. And I am, I am giddy. <laughs> now, look, if, if I end up disliking this movie, I will own it. But I am giddy, sir. I am a little bit giddy as well. I really liked Bradley Cooper's take on A Star, a Star is, is Born. Born. Love A Star is Born. Obviously one of the most nominated films at the Oscars that year. And also gave us one of the, maybe the last great Oscars moments with B. Coop and Lady Gaga singing Shallow on stage. It's one of the last times where both the lead actor and actress like like the parts were equally written for both of them to shine and they both gave amazing performances within that movie i'm excited um we should probably talk about we should like what we're supposed <laughs> here to talk about so that's a little update on some of the film festivals happening here in los angeles as we are inching into the fall and awards season will inevitably i've told up. myself credit card no more credit card no more <laughs> You will not. <laughs> Quoth Christian. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and of course, if you are following the show, you know that we just wrapped up a month's worth of discussions on high school movies. We looked um, at some... The Breakfast Club has not been posted. I apologize. I was in Seattle at Starbucks. That's true. Christian was out of town and we'll be posting that very soon. So uh, you may get to hear us talk about how next week on the show we're doing this, but instead it's just tomorrow on the show. <laughs> but yes, we did get to discuss some modern high school movies, shared our respective top fives with buddy of the show, Keenan Color. That felt wrong. Friend of the show, Keenan Color. And we did do a retrospective review of The Breakfast Club as well. And now, Christian, it's October. We're going to be looking at some horror movies, and you are guiding the ship this month. So I turn it to you. What keg are we tapping here in October? We are doing supernatural horror films. And these are... I've curated the three movies so that all three are international. Now, two are in English, but they are not from the U.S. One is Japanese. And the entire goal of this is to try to discover the cult horror films because the cult classics seem to have originated specifically from what people were doing in horror. Now, I have, I've seen one of these three movies. The other two, I have not. And I kind of also wanted to do a blend where even if we had seen them, they were lesser known. Because um, I have seen a lot of the movies that we had been discussing the past couple of months previously and i just wanted that to change always good to make some discoveries here on the show i will be making it three first time watches this month and i'm really looking forward to it we have a recent hit that we'll be discussing we have a japanese movie as you mentioned that spawned an american remake but people do say the original is better and we have this week's movie which i will leave to you to introduce christian which to my knowledge is maybe the least well-known movie this month so really truly a cult hit so the movie that we are going to be discussing is the changeling which is a 1980s canadian supernatural horror movie uh it was written by russell hunter 
apparently based on something that he had experienced himself. Yes. It's which, the absolute best part of the Wikipedia page. Which is not great. <laughs> yeah. The opening yes. scene, if that's something he's gone through, it's not good. Well, I think it was based on his experiences in a sort of haunted house, which is, this movie is not, not So his wife and daughter are okay? I, I believe they were. I believe they were fine, but... Russell Hunter was staying at the mansion of Henry Treat Rogers, which is in Denver, Colorado, and he experienced a series of unexplained phenomena, and that included finding a century-old journal in a hidden room in the house, um, taken down by a disabled boy who was being kept away by his parents, so very creepy stuff, obviously, who... Who's to say how much of it is real or not? But at least it inspired the Changeling. It did inspire the Changeling. It was directed by Peter Maddock, who before this had done a lot of comedy movies. And uh, I, I don't know if he's British or not, but I know that he worked in England making movies there. Hungarian, uh, actually. But yes, primarily worked in the UK and yes. Hollywood. Uh, it stars George C. Scott, who had won it. He's the first person to refuse an Oscar. He won it for playing Patton in the movie Patton. Mm-hmm. And it starts him and his wife, Trish Van Dever, or Devere, or I would Devere. say Van Devere. There was sure. a, see, Christian, now, there was a car dealership near where I grew up, and the family that ran it was Van Devere, and they, did, they had a whole series of ads that would run on the radio calling themselves the Van Devere Bunch. So that's, that's how I have that on lock. <laughs> so, the Van Devere Bunch. Growing up in Ohio, this is this is what it, came out of it. It's thrilling stuff. Let it me tell is you, thrilling stuff. The, <laughs> um, but before that, we're going to go into our taster. Now, our taster is talking a little bit about what the nature of supernatural horror movies are, and so right now, honestly, despite anything that could be the wikipedia entry for it anything that might be the official definition i actually wanted you and i to discuss what we think the genre is and what it means now what do you think it means yeah i mean just the word supernatural itself it just means obviously something that's beyond the natural realm so when i think of supernatural it can be a number of different things right it it could be ghosts it could be evil spirits of some kind it could be more religious like like demons or, or something like that uh, obviously you don't need to make an explicitly christian film or whatever to have demons present um religious imagery is big though well, yeah religious many, imagery is the creation of this genre right and, and that's you know being in the united states where christianity has long been the most uh, popular and uh, obviously well-known religion, at least within this country, it only makes sense that for a lot of directors, whether they're religious themselves or not, would lean on Christian imagery when they're making these types of horror movies. There's a whole uh, subcategory of supernatural horror films that's purely about exorcisms, <laughs> thanks to The Exorcist, which, of course, we talked about on this show last year. No, and that, that was part of my idea. How much of this do we attribute to The Exorcist? Because when I think of supernatural horror... One of the things I think of is not necessarily demonic possession, but definitely, like, possession of individual. And I wouldn't even say I've seen too many movies that are staples of that, but it's... I I definitely think it's a thing. Yes, ghosts and hauntings, but them moving 
stuff or them entering people. Yeah, and, and I think supernatural ideas of horror movies definitely begin before The Exorcist. Oh, absolutely. Like you, can, you can go way back when, and I mean, they were making the Universal Monster movies back in the 30s, and some of those included movies that weren't just Frankenstein's Monster or The Wolfman or Dracula, but there's also a movie that's been on my watch list, I haven't gotten around to it, but it's directed by James Whale called The Old Dark House, about strange things happening in this this haunted mansion you know <laughs> that that's an idea that filmmakers have been using for decades and obviously it's also something that is somewhat easy to do practically if you think about how easy it is to make objects in a house move unexpectedly because you have a set and you can have someone stand behind the wall of your set and jiggle the candle that's on the wall or or have the eyes poking out of the the painting like in scooby-doo you know you can do those sorts of things pretty easily and using small budgets, which a lot of times horror movies are not made with big, fancy blockbuster budgets. Which is why it's interesting to look at The Exorcist, because The Exorcist is the best picture nominated by a best picture, best director award winning filmmaker. And I don't know what the budget on The Exorcist is. I don't know if you're looking it up right now. Sure am. But it, I don't think The Exorcist can be a cult film. The Exorcist is 100% a supernatural horror film. But the, and I don't care if the movie is cult or not, except that there are so many movies in the genre that are, and very, very few in the mainstream that are. Yeah, The Exorcist is not a cult film for two major reasons. Obviously, number one, hard to be a cult film when you get a nomination for Best Picture. But number two, also, I'm trying to see how much of this is contemporary and how much of it is since. But it has taken in over $440 million at the global box office. And I believe that's part of its lifetime run. But even so, it was a phenomenon when it came out in the early 70s, where obviously you were having fewer movies made, movies were more central to the culture at the time, and this became one of those runaway hits that people felt like it was so scary, you just had to go see it and experience it yourself. So, no, The Exorcist is definitely not a cult hit. But horror is a perfect genre for cult films to find followings because a lot of times what is seen as bad, for example, by maybe critics or more refined audiences is beloved by people who love B-movies, who love scary movies, who love gory movies, and who love extreme violence or whatever you want to put in your movie. There are things that are considered just bad to depict by some that are beloved by others. And, and that's why horror yeah. so frequently spawns these cult classics because you can release it, nobody sees it for years, and then it gets found and people start talking about it online or, or before that, you know, sharing the DVD from, or the VHS even from Blockbuster, sharing that around a dorm room. Now, also important to note in this, supernatural horror films the, the word supernatural, I, I define it to be also demonic or ghost or something along those lines. Um, say a werewolf movie or a vampire movie, I categorize those as differently. Even yeah, though they're... that is supernatural, that is a werewolf movie, that is a vampire movie, or collectively yeah. they're monster movies. Exactly. Monster, monster movies tend to be different from this category. Ghosts are kind of their own thing. Which it, it implies like a different level, a different ether of existence. And even, I guess it can be somewhat tangible, but it, it's weird. I mean, genres don't really exist. Well, by that I mean genre definitions change all the time. It makes nothing fits perfectly into a genre. But 
I wanted to ask you, when you look at the horror movies that are coming now, are we still pumping out supernatural horror? That's a little bit hard to say, only because, number one, I'm not a huge horror movie aficionado. I'm still definitely playing catch-up. But I I think, obviously, we do see supernatural movies, and there's one major franchise right now that's all about this, which is the Conjuring Extended Universe. Speaking of real-life exploits, obviously based on the real life of Lorraine and her husband, (laughs) that family whose real-life experience with the uh, This Haunted House inspired the Amityville Horror and ultimately The Conjuring, and those movies are supernatural, very spiritual, evil spirits, demons, etc. And they have the Annabelle movies, which spun off from the first movie, the Nun movies, which The Nun 2 just hit theaters. Well, those spun off from Annabelle, right. Which, The Nun is the villain of Conjuring 2, and that spun off... To its own thing. So we're certainly seeing supernatural movies, and now we're getting a new series of Exorcist films from David Gordon Green, who wrapped up Halloween and is going to be releasing his first Exorcist remake so later this year. So the Exorcist Believer is interesting. Yeah. In that it is, we're, I believe the granddaddy of supernatural horror must be the Exorcist. Well, that's I don't mm, the the Shining. I don't know. Is The Shining more haunted house? But then this movie's kind of a haunted house movie too. Yeah, I mean, The Exorcist is older than The Shining, but I guess I would just call it maybe The Father because there are granddaddies <laughs> like The Old Dark House. These these supernatural movies that were made way back when that continued to inspire filmmakers and yes, when I, B-movie films and, and things for decades after that. When I say father or grandfather, I guess I'm talking about the popularity hit. Like, look, there have been science fiction movies that have inspired Star Wars, but now Star Wars became the behemoth, you know? And Star Wars, in any other realm of existence, would have been the B-movie to a different film. Uh, Except for the fact that its budget was slightly larger. (laughs) Um, But what happened is that, like, Alien was greenlit because Star Wars happened. And so it's it's what causes someone else to want to make a movie and what causes someone else to then I'm not sure I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure where we go from there. Uh that being said, the changeling, I I think um I think Scorsese has cited it as a in is one of the top eleven most haunting moments in a movie. Um, whether or not we agree with that is going to be a topic of discussion, but I wanted us to move on from that. We've actually already touched upon our background info, and so do you want to just go into our opening question? Yeah, the only only couple things that I want to add here. Number one, um, Russell Hunter wrote the story, but the actual credited writers for the screenplay are William Gray and Diana Maddox. I'd mm-hmm. like to mention that. So Hunter gave the story and probably wrote the treatment, and then the screenplay was written up by two others. And also a modest box office success, maybe. <laughs> information is kind that of... That was so weird to in, look at. Inconclusive. Yeah. If you go look it up on, on the little background information box on Wikipedia, it says the budget is $6.6 and the box office is either $5.6 million or $12 million. So either it Which was... Which is a big difference. Yeah, either it was a modest success or a bit of a bomb. <laughs> and... <laughs> And either way, who knows? But certainly, maybe one of those in Canadian dollars. 
Yes, must have been. Must have been the Canadian dollars. But certainly not a massive hit. I will say, I had not heard of this movie until you introduced it for discussion of the podcast. I'm not familiar with Peter Medak as a filmmaker. And when I think of George C. Scott, I don't think of The Changeling. <laughs> I think of a lot of other movies that he's been in. He had a very long career. So I did not know he and uh, Trish Van Deeber. Van Devere. Van Devere were married. Neither did I. I actually, I was looking around her her IMDb and I was like, wow, she's making a lot of movies with George C. Scott. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> I navigated to one of their Wikipedia pages and I realized, oh, they were married for many years. <laughs> and they acted in several movies together. All right. With that, let's go into our opening question. Now, the thing that I wanted to go on to is... This, uh, The Changeling, this is a horror movie that is very much so less is more. I don't know how they allocated the budget, but it is very, very sparse in terms of outward scares and set, uh, not set, but set piece for it to go. And uh, with minimal views of the ghost that is in this movie, with minimal views of the, there, there is a death scene, but it's used very, very sparingly. How effective was this for you in using minimalism to try to convey a dread of what is going next and also maybe the suspense for you to want to find out what is coming? I think this was really effective in terms of creating an atmosphere. I mean, even talking about The Conjuring, for example, I really like the first Conjuring movie, but the franchise as a whole is very Hollywood in its depiction of the paranormal, in its depiction of demons and spirits. There's a lot of effects. And that was my biggest problem with the second movie of that franchise, is that the ending is super CGI'd and, uh, like, it's already unbelievable, of course, but extra ridiculous, let alone believable. The Changeling, as you said, is much more minimalist. It's not nearly as heavily reliant on special effects. It certainly whips them out a couple of times and does so effectively, but it is far more interested in creating a very grounded and naturalistic story, especially considering it's based off of the re- apparent real-life experiences of <laughs> Russell Hunter. Uh, the Conjuring also based off real-life experiences, shall we say. But yes, I, I do think the, the minimalistic approach to the supernatural elements is really effective here and it's also it sort of comes and goes during the course of the movie there are periods where you know you'll go several scenes without anything spooky or special effecty happening so i'm curious what was your thought on the same question i think it was effective i was pretty much wanting to try and figure out what this story was that caused it because it's it's nothing too big until near the end, but even I, I I'm gonna tell you this. This is my my issue with this movie, which I enjoy quite a bit. And uh, Peter Manek and the way that he is directing this is 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 so fascinating. The choices that he make and keeping me just eyes glued to the screen. This story makes. It makes sense. Could not follow it. To the point where I had to look at the Wikipedia page afterwards to try and read the synopsis and be like, huh, somewhere along the line I missed a piece of dialogue or something because when they get to the senator, 
I'm like, who? Why are why are, and also why are you a senator? Was that supposed to be important? The fact that he's you know high up in government, and then yep. <laughs> and then also like the cop shows up, and I'm very confused. Well, I, I I know what the story I know what the story is. Let's let's also recap the plot for the people. Now, um, dude, main dude, Russell, John Russell, yes, John Russell. <laughs> loses his wife and daughter. It's, it's the most gruesome death they could have with, without drifting into the unreal and you're laughing about it, Christian. Because it's five minutes into the movie and I'm like, Frick, if, if this happens now, where do we go from here? Yes, he Russell is driving with his wife and daughter to a wintry vacation. And while he stops to call someone on the phone booth, a car comes around one bend, a truck around the other, and they have a collision, which results in the truck ramming into his family and killing them, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Not funny, Christian. Not funny. It's just... That has nothing to do with the rest of this movie. Because it has everything no, no, no. to do with the rest I, of the movie. He, okay, he, okay, look, this, it's only four months removed. I kind of feel like this should have been like two years later. He's dealing with this remarkably well. And everyone deals with grief in their own ways. He's very well composed and kind of like hitting on um, Trish Vandeveer's character. I will say to that point, I think they do try to show Russell's grief uh, in a couple of scenes early on. There, there's a moment, for example, um, where he we hear his alarm go off. We, the camera's holding on his clock. It's six a.m. It's time to get up. He's a uh, a musician, a composer, and a professor. Where he's teaching at a college, and so his alarm goes off to go teach his students. And the camera pans over, and he's already awake. He's He's crying, he's sobbing uncontrollably. And then he hears a sound in the house, which he's been hearing, and he goes off to investigate that. But I think they do take steps to depict that, like depict his grief affecting him. Uh, And of course, I think much more importantly, a lot of the plot of the movie hinges on Russell's desire to appease this spirit who has some... Uh, whatever you want to call it, some some needs that need to be taken care of before he can be at rest, which is a common theme in these types of movies. I don't think the spirit is okay. So the 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 thing haunting this house. Uh, how do I say I mean, this without the, the rest spoiling. of the, the rest of the plot? He has this thing happen months later. He has moved to a new city. He's teaching at this college, and the historical society is rents out this fancy house to him. And then weird things start happening around the house, and yes. so he tries to investigate. What's and, going on? And these weird things are occurring because of this spirit who is in the house because of an unjust death put on the spirit. Um, look, this, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the dude the spirit belongs to was killed and... I the the person who kills him killed him for some money, not just some money. A lot of money. A lot of money. But in fact, uh, the family is still rich from this money. Many many years later. So like, fifteen million. I I don't know. I mean the point. 
uh, without <laughs> spoiling what happens. Because, of course, this is a... This is an easily spoilable movie. It is easily spoilable. The, yes. There were there were a lot of plot details as to who was killed, uh, what happened, what what the, the killer did afterwards, the after effects... Of that, there's 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 someone we meet who is connected to that family. I, it, it felt like really convoluted to me. You know, I I think there were a couple of moments during the movie where I noticed that I wasn't fully tracking with what was going on, but I I knew what the characters wanted. I knew that Russell yes. was trying to appease this spirit. I knew that Claire, who's Trish Vanderveer's character had an interest in helping him get to the bottom of this. And there were times where maybe I didn't know, I missed a detail or something, but it was answered by following along in the next scene or yes, something. Where I, I, I didn't feel like I ever truly got lost. It's very easy to follow. This movie is very yeah. easy to follow. There, There's one part where it's not. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious what part that is for you. I know we don't really want to spoil this for people. But... Remember when the senator is looking at the two amulets? Yes. And then he, like, I don't know, transports to the house. Yes. Didn't really know what was going on with him. I mean, I know, <laughs> I like, I guess his spirit left his body. Because that, that is what uh, some suggest is happening. Uh, and that's I, what I believe is happening as well. I, 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 I didn't get it. That That's the only thing I didn't get. Um, now... Let's talk about some of the scares that are... Should we talk about the scares or should we talk about the performances? Oh, it's up to you. you. You lead the way here. This is your month. Cool. We're we're on the point of story. So let's talk about what the story is doing in terms of the scares. So this is a haunted house movie. This is a supernatural haunted house movie. Um, these, these, these scares are just a little off. And when I say a little off, it's not like there's something wrong with them. It's just that they're at the beginning slight. Like Russell finding that music box, which is playing a tune, which he thought he had composed, and this yes. music box is decades old. Yes, yeah, I would say that there's a lot. Uh, the, the Changeling has a lot of creepy moments. Very, and, and there's things that disturbing even. Yes, that that definitely don't like get you jumping out of your seat, screaming, but. You feel the creepiness of the atmosphere. And I think part of the reason it starts so gruesomely, the way that it does, obviously we don't see blood and guts um, flying out of the Russell family, but it starts that way to really situate you in this heavy atmosphere because he's dealing with the death of his family and uncovers this plot that resulted in the death of someone else and now that person is haunting his, his historical mansion. And... I think that's intentional. This is not a very lighthearted movie. There's not a lot of laughs. It's not overly morose or somber, but the atmosphere is effective and, and creepy at times. And I think there are a few moments of, of some, some good scares that have aged to the point where they can still get me 43 years later, but not, not a lot of moments where I was truly frightened. It was more so just experiencing the atmosphere. There's a creepy chase scene between a person and an inanimate object. Yes. Which was cool, but it wasn't scary. The, the, here's <laughs> the thing. This movie isn't scary to me. Yeah. It's just interesting. Because this is when you can tell when a movie is making full use of its budget. 
And this movie, now, I don't know how much $6.6 million were able to go for. Especially, I'm going to tell you, a good chunk of that was probably going to George C. Scott's wallet. So. That's, that I was about to say that. I don't know how much that will go to when you have an Academy Award winning, well, Academy Award denying actor. And the, we should say there there is a senator, Senator Carmichael, who appears once early on and then has a larger role near the, the end of the movie. And he's played by Melvin Douglas, who was near the end of his life it's one of his final performances but he's also an oscar winning and many times nominated yeah, i think actor. he won twice yes yeah so some definite hardware for the cast of the changeling and i'm sure he didn't come cheaply either so so the performances then i have no notes on these performances i mean it they're believable they're all reacting to their environment it's creepy my one note and it's not a note it's more so on the script i I'm struggling to see how grief is a part of Russell's life. I mean, like I said, I think that they try to fit a couple of moments in earlier on, but I really think that his particular interest in solving this, uh, this situation, shall we say, is born out of the grief that he's feeling. Any rational person, when these strange things start happening at a house that they're renting, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's renting it the entire way through here, they would just get their stuff and they'd leave. False. Because white people in horror movies are stupid. <laughs> white people in horror movies are stupid, Christian. You're right. But I don't <laughs> think the changeling is playing by slasher rules. I, I think the point here is that based on what Russell learns about this person who died in his house, he is inspired to solve their situation and help their spirit be at rest because of a connection that he feels with them due to the loss that he experienced earlier on in the movie and again i think it also that those deaths set the tone for this movie it, it's not again it, it's not drowning in grief the entire time but i do think it's it's a good way to begin and put us in this state of mind of dealing with this death and seeing this broken man who sort of finds some purpose again. Now the death scene, what got the ghost to want to do this is used sparingly and is quite disturbing. It's extremely disturbing. <laughs> it is. It is one of those where it feels almost comical when it first started happening and then I go, oh my. This, this dude being killed, for sure. And it's just not... It's, it's so effective. It's, it's very effective. And I think it's even... It's almost brave, in a way. Because what's, what's being depicted here... Again, it's, it's not overly graphic, what's being depicted. But it's something that does not really make it into Hollywood movies very often. And maybe this has to do with this being a Canadian production. And, and their strictures and standards were less strict about this but we can be we, we can be open about this there is a lot of damage against children yes in this movie um even from the opening scene to 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 see them in that point his wife and daughter and they're having a snowball fight right before they die it is very much so a loss of innocence that is perpetrating this whole movie. So it's 
man, you watch this and you're like, this is the point in the audience where someone would be like F and then turn to the person next to them. Which is, which is you always want in a movie like this. Yeah. And I, I think too that some of the scariest moments in the movie call back to this death. There's a, a moment where Russell is looking into a tub and he sees a face yeah. looking out at him from the water, which got me. <laughs> it makes you understand why someone like Martin Scorsese would put it on his scariest films of all time list. Uh, certainly a scare in the movie that still works all these years later, despite how desensitized we are sometimes to scary movies of how much we see on screen nowadays. Is this a movie that you would recommend to other people? I would absolutely recommend this to other people. It's, it's not a movie that is going to be on my scariest films of all time or even favorite horror movies of all time, but it it is so good at what it does and so assured in what it is and, and it seems like we have some disagreement on just the, the delivery of the plot and the delivery of the story and how easy or hard it is to follow along but I, I jot down notes on the movies as we're watching and I made a little note to myself <laughs> while I was making notes for the changeling where I say no notes because I got wrapped up in the conspiracy is what I called it uh, behind this this person's death and there's a sort of investigation that that Russell and Claire go on trying to solve what happened here and figure out what happened and what they can do to help this this vengeful spirit and I just got wrapped up in it and you have these great performers like George C. Scott and like Trish Vanderveer like Melvin Douglas and just a great cast of a lot of character actors who they, they kind of look like people that you just don't see on screen much more these days where even George C. Scott himself I mean this movie was made in 1979 1980 and he was in his early 50s at the time but he looks older than that and he has that grizzled look that a lot of people in movies did coming up in the 20th century where they spent decades drinking and smoking like their life depended on it and they aged a little bit faster than Hollywood stars do these days because they're taking better care of themselves, they have plastic surgery, they they just know more about the human body and who's, how to who's retain a it. grizzled man that appears, like current day, modern day movie star that's grizzled? In terms of a grizzled star, I don't actually know. I mean... The person that came to my mind, because I thought you were going to ask about someone in this age, is Tom Cruise, who's in his 60s and he's, still making Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, he's not grizzled, though. He's not grizzled at all. And, that, and that's part of my point, is that the stars, you don't necessarily see as grizzled and aged Wait, like I... Dude who plays Hopper. David Harbour. Is David Harbour grizzled? I mean, he he's a little grizzled. He's he's got a he's got a belly. He's got a beard. He looks he looks like he can he be looks a much dad. older than he actually <laughs> is. Let's let's see how old our guy David Harbor is. David Harbor is forty eight. So grizzled. Yeah, I'd say yeah. a little grizzled. He could be fifty six. But I, I think too, even filling out the margins of this movie, you just have people who. They look like they're living in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, there's there's this great lady who works for the Historical Society with Claire who gets a couple creepy scenes because she gets to deliver the great line talking to Russell about what's going wrong in the house. And she's like, 
that house. Like Nobody's lived there for years for a reason. It doesn't want people to live there. And she gets to really sink her teeth into that. And just like this little old lady who <laughs> works at this historical society. I'm sure she's a great actress and, and she made many more movies and TV appearances and this... stage appearances. But to me, you know, she's just this old lady who gets a couple creepy moments. And My... it's great. One of my favorite lines from Friends, the TV show. Joey was reading The Shining and he got challenged to read Little Women. And so he grabs the book and he goes, all right, so these women, these little women, how little are they? They like scary little. (laughs) What? (laughs) Nope, they're normal sized. Average, average build. It's more about their age. I think that was my thing when watching Little Women. I was just so scared someone was going to step on them. Mm. Mm. All those giants walking around in the world of... These are my Alcott's Little Women. I mean, come on, you look at Emma Watson, you're just like, man, watch out. Famously, uh, super, super short Emma Watson. It was like where all of the CGI budget went to in Harry Potter. Yeah, just making her look normal size. Uh, unfortunately for Emma Watson, she was born many years after the film The Changeling was released to cinema cinemas around the world. I, to, I mean, just to get back to your question, like, do you recommend this? I think it's a great find. and I think it's, it's a great find. It's the kind of movie that feels just really great to catch up with in terms of a cult supernatural horror lens where it has a big star attached. George C. Scott is a very famous actor, won Academy Awards, even if he refused them. Melvin Douglas is in the supporting cast. Again, won Academy Awards. Peter Medak worked for a very long time. Well, this is also... I, I don't know if this is a compliment or an insult... This feels like a movie someone would make early in their career, not something that is near the... I don't know if it's near the end, but it's definitely after Peter Medic is an established director. Yeah. I mean, why do you say that? I say that because if someone were to make a movie like this today, it would be... Immediately, they would be taken by the studio system or offered way more money to make their next feature. Does that make sense? I mean, maybe, but I I think that just says more about the business of Hollywood these days, where... I I need to look at the past through the lens that I've been given by today. Yeah, but I think that this this particular movie is is mature. That's that's how I feel about it. It is mature. It's very mature. Yeah, And, and again, with the story itself, there's not a lot of shocks, not a lot of scares, and I'm sure it played differently in 1979 or 1980 when it was first coming out, but... It doesn't really play that way today. There's not a ton of, like I said, no no splatters of blood, no gory moments, no jump scares even. There's a broken man trying to go on this this quest of uh, retribution for this restless spirit. And for a time, it gets away from the spirit. It gets away from the special effects. And it gets much more focused on trying to understand the history of the house, what happened here, who was the person that died, and with this what can we do with that information? Ruthlessness that is coming from George C. Scott. Now, this is not a perfect movie. No. This is this is a movie that I am happy I saw. I would definitely recommend to other people. Absolutely. But also, kind of makes me just want to round out this. What are other supernatural horror films that are coming out around this time? Because from what I can tell, from what I have discovered... 
people do cite the changeling as something that they remember watching or something that has influenced them. And therefore, I mean, I want to know what else, I mean, what influenced the changeling and what did the changeling influence later on? So there are, that's, that's, that's my take. I think, I mean, I, I don't really think that you like this movie way more than I do. I think we're at about the same level. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it sounds like we both liked it and would recommend it, but there's other movies that we appreciate much more, other things that we enjoyed more, were scared more by. But the the to me, like The Changeling is a perfect example of just a good movie. It's a good time. Yeah. Like, if you go to the movie theater and you see The Changeling, you're happy when you come out. Yeah. And I think there is there is some substance to it. Like, there's something to sink your teeth into. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's sort of lacking in the scares that we are used to these days. But even The Exorcist, for a long time, considered the scariest movie ever made, is not a movie that scared me uh, particularly well, but it's still a great movie. Um, just for different reasons, I think, than I sometimes go to horror movies where I, I want to be scared, you know? What's, so, what's the like horror movie similarly. that... But it has scared you. I mean, Hereditary, which we talked about, and I think it was your suggestion for a streamer recommendations yeah. episode back in the day. The ending of Hereditary freaked me the heck out. Uh, I watched uh, The Witch, Robert Eggers' debut yeah. film. The ending of that movie also just burrowed into my mind and wouldn't let me go for a long time. I, I think Jordan Peele's Us has some really scary moments. And again, okay. the implications of the doubles feature in that movie really haunted me for a while. It Follows, another movie that I found okay. very scary. I know you're not a fan of that one, but just the whole conceit and concept, I think, is executed so well there. But Have, have you ever seen It? I have not. I have not seen It. It is a movie where the jump scares to this day still get me. I'd, there's there's a point where it, it doesn't happen often but when horror films do hit the main stream now look horror is 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 mainstream genre everyone goes to see horror movies but there are moments where the horror movie kind of everyone goes have you seen this movie yet probably most famously in the 2010s it happened with get out and hereditary but which Get Out is not really a horror movie. Not, it's at least... much more so a thriller. I know I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Um, but the the when it came out, and I saw it in theaters, everyone was screaming in the audience. It made a crap ton of money. I love that movie to this day, and it still scares me to this day. Like when I'm late at night, when I turn off the lights to go to bed, I still think. Man, is Pennywise behind? The, yeah, is Pennywise behind that closet? And I guess maybe in looking at these movies, I'm wondering: is there something? What? What's? Is there something out there that is still scary? I think that just depends on the person. It depends on the person, but yeah, this is my. I mean, this is my personal goal. Is there something out there that's still scary for me? I guess we'll find out yeah. later this month. I, I know of the two movies that we're going to be watching. They are both famous for being very scary so <laughs> i look forward to finding i guess the second movie we'll be watching is famous for a variety of reasons not not the least of which is its cultural impact beyond film shall we say but we'll get to that when we get to that i think it was parodied in scary movie three 
I was thinking about the final movie we're watching, which is the most recent film, unless I got the order mixed up. The what? Wait, what did you say? It was what, what were you saying before that? Then that the the two movies coming up are very well known for being scary, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to seeing if they scare me. Yeah. The final film we'll be watching this month is also famous for some cultural impact it made beyond the film industry, like beyond its reputation as a movie. Uh, it, it made a impact <laughs> in a, a costume sense, shall we say. Have you seen the drawings of the creature in the third movie? Yes. They are creepy. Yes, they are. To this day, they're disturbing. Okay, but but with that, next week, is it time or do you have anything else you want to bring up? Um, the only thing I want to say, folks, is the changing is worth your time. I know it's not widely streaming It's right streaming now, on Tubi, which is free. it's streaming on Tubi, which is free. So you got to deal with some ads, but it worked for Christian. It worked for you, too. I was able to rent it from the good folks over at Cinemile, Cinephile Video. One of the perks of living in Los Angeles is we still have a couple movie rental stores. So shout out Cinephile, but check it out for free on Tubi. Definitely worth your time. Do you remember that trailer that we saw before, Anatomy of a Fall? We saw like six trailers before. Anatomy no, no, no. The, 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 there was like very brazen nudity in yes. that trailer. <laughs> Delamore, Delamorte. I think it was what it was called. I kind of want to check out the seats on Cinephile because it's not streaming anywhere. And it, I don't know, it looks so weird. The uh, the good folks at Beyond Fest have programmed a couple films from the director, Wait, Michele Soavi. Is Delamore, is a, Delamorte part of Beyond Fest? Yeah, that's why they were showing the trailer on screen. What? Are there still tickets? Can we go see it? <laughs> we might be able to, Christian, but... The good listeners of this podcast may not be able to if they don't live in Los Angeles. So what's coming up for them next week on the show? What's coming up next week is available to stream on either Shutter or, again, Tubi. Or potentially AMC Plus if you have that, but you don't. And the movie is called Ringu, which is the Japanese film that inspired the American version The Ring. About... Uh, per this cursed videotape that whatever person watches, they will die a couple days afterward. I think it's seven, something along those lines. And uh, I haven't seen the American version. I have definitely not seen the Japanese version. I also think the Japanese version got a sequel. We're only going to be discussing the original. And with there, we're going to see, well, it's kind of meta. You know, it's like if you we are watching a screen where someone watching a screen is cursed. I'm going to see what that does for us in watching this movie. I'm looking forward to it, Christian. And just to confirm your suspicions, Ringu not only has a sequel, it has six. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, my apologies. It has eight. <laughs> oh, it spawned a franchise. Rick. Yes. It, uh, funnily enough, the sequel to Ring. Ringu is The Spiral, and the sequel to that is Ring 2. So, <laughs> maybe Wait. there's a larger franchise that we can discuss more next week, because Ring 2 is the third movie, Ring Zero is the fourth movie, <laughs> maybe a prequel. But of course, it was successful enough to get an American remake of only four years later, which starred Naomi Watts, so... Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing the OG next week on the show. I'm looking up Ring franchise right now. Films Ring, Ring, Raisin, Ring 2, The Ring Virus, Ring Zero, Birthday, 
The Ring, The not, Ring Not all two. of these are part of the franchise, it sounds like. Sadako 3D. Yeah, there's a bunch of Sadako films. I believe Sadako, Sadako is a 3D2. Sadako versus Kayako. Rings. Sadako. Rings is the most recent American, like, sequel in the American franchise. And Sadako DX. Okay. Well, we're only going to be discussing the first one. Indeed we are, folks. That's coming next week here on the show. As Christian said, it is available on Tubi, so check it out for free if you want with some ads, or you can probably rent it a variety of places. Or go to your library. MC Plus, go to the library, see if they have it. Maybe not. Come to Cinephile. Don't don't take it out, actually, because I need it. So wait until the show is out, and then you, you can watch it then. Sound good? Great. Until next time, folks. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. And there are a few things that you can continue to do to support the show. Of course, please do subscribe and leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us grow on these platforms. I did see we had a new five-star review come in on Spotify. So thank you, anonymous listener, for that. We appreciate it. Made me, made me smile. I was just like, wow, we have another review. Yo, three years of us podcasting people are still listening to us and giving us reviews yeah shout out to those people they're pretty great you can also send us an email at cinema on tap podcast at gmail.com especially talking about supernatural horror films there are so many out there and we're going to be covering some classics of the genre but we'd sincerely love to hear some of your favorites that we're not going to get to discuss on the show if you have recommendations just for us to check out i mean i i've said on the show christian uh, also uh, i believe this is your experience too we didn't watch a ton of horror movies growing up mm-hmm. and so there's still a lot of homework to do so if you have recommendations please let us know and again that's cinema on tap podcast at gmail.com you can also follow myself and the show on twitter christian on instagram and the both of us on letterboxd where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things we are watching like anatomy of a fall Thanks mm-hmm. to Beyond Fest. Absolutely. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Executive decision. Yeah. We're going to do emergency podcast post maestro. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I mean, it doesn't need to be any longer than like 15 minutes, but <laughs> I think... Just going to be you screaming into a microphone from across the room while I while I tell the good people about <laughs> maestro. I, I look... Look, honestly... I, whether or not I like this movie, and I have high hopes for it, Bradley Cooper is an inspiration to me. He is one of my favorite actors. He's one of my favorite filmmakers in terms of everything that he produces, writes, and directs, even though there's only two movies he has written and directed. I am so looking forward to any anything that he does, that um, to be in the same vicinity as this man, I, I am... Very much looking forward to it, and you get to be there with me, and I'm very excited about that. It's going to be delightful. Until next time, folks, this has been Cinema on Tap. Thanks for listening.